Welcome to Exotic Pets. I'm Tracy Hotchner, whom you may know as the dog and cat lady, but I'm wearing a different hat here. With the brilliant assistance of my co-host, Dr. Doug Mater, the world-renowned veterinarian specializing in exotic animals, we're here to celebrate all the other pets that share people's lives. This show is for people interested in pets that slither, hop, creep, fly, or swim. From bunnies to iguanas, parrots to ferrets, snakes to tortoises. Dr. Doug is going to teach us the physical requirements of these exotic pets and how to manage the often challenging environments and correct diets essential to their welfare. Dr. Doug Mater is the author of The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital. He is recognized worldwide as a veterinary specialist on exotics and is the author of four major veterinary textbooks on reptiles and amphibians. I hope you'll have as much fun listening to our conversations as we have had. We are proud to have ZooMed Laboratories as the sponsor of Exotic Pets. ZooMed has earned its reputation as the number one reptile company in the world, from simple beginnings 45 years ago as a passion project for one man, Gary Bagnall, who still runs it. ZooMed provides supplies and information for every imaginable exotic pet, particularly renowned as the world's expert on UVB and heat lighting. ZooMed manufactures all their reptile supplies, accessories, and tools, which they test on their own collection of animals, which surround everyone at headquarters. Dr. Doug, it's always such a pleasure to be back with you, and I feel like I, I throw you these darts and you catch them and go, sure, let's discuss parrots if that's what you want to discuss, but... I do know that when I say, let's talk about parrots, I'm talking about more than one kind of bird and probably something that in subsequent shows we need to break down into different ones. But parrots in general, as a doctor and as a, a someone even works in zoos and helps the zoo people as a vet, what is it that we should know about parrots generally? Um, you know, when you use the term parrots, it's, it's kind of a catch-all term for any big bird. You know, right. when people think of things like, you know, uh, budgerigars or canaries, and those are the little birds that are, you know, they sing in the cage. Uh, and then most people think of parrots, they think of these larger birds that are usually out of the cage or flying around. Um, and, you know, there's different types of big birds. So you, you have your parrot, like, let's say your African gray parrot, okay, which is common in, in Africa. Obviously, those are the big gray ones with a short tail. And then you have the other ones with the really long tails. And those would be something along the lines of the macaws that we see in South America and Central America, like the scarlet macaw or the, the blue and gold macaw. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different types. Um, and they're, they're fascinating animals. But they're, they're demanding to live with. I mean, I, we have to bring up yet again the topic of their long livedness. They have yes. long, long yes, lives. They so they're not like something you think, I'll try this for years. a few years, and if I don't like it, it won't matter because he'll be dead by then. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of these birds can live 60, 70, 80 years. I mean, you get something like a, a, a parakeet or a, a cockatiel or something like that, you might be looking at 10, 15, 20 years if you're, if you're lucky, you know, if you take good care of them and you, they've got good genes. But you get something in like an African gray parrot or a blue and gold macaw, you could easily be talking 60 to 80 years. Uh, that's daunting um, because aren't they – as I understand it, unless you rehome somebody else's, they're hand-raised to make them more friendly to people. Can we talk a little bit about that, whether sure. when yeah, you yeah, get they're, one, they're, that's apparently a big selling point? 
and um, the ones that are hand raised tend to be very, very personable and very friendly with people. Um, there was a time when a lot of the readers were selling these things right out of the egg, literally with no feathers and eyes closed. And oh the idea goodness. is that you hand raise it by using a syringe. And when it opens its eyes, the first thing it does is see you and then imprints on you. And then it thinks that you're its mom or its mate. Um, they're not doing that as much anymore, which is good because uh, as a veterinarian, we used to see these young animals come in were people that were spending thousands of dollars for these birds and didn't know what they were doing. And then they would come in and they would obviously, you know, some of them would get very sick and some of them sadly would pass away because they were mishandled. Yes. Uh, but birds can be funny. They do have incredible personalities. They're very, very bright. They've got a large brain for the size of their body. I mean, they're extremely bright animals, um, very complex emotions. Um, they do require a lot of attention, and it's almost a negative feedback sometimes that the more attention you give them, the more they need. Oh, my God. And with some birds, you know, the more attention you give them, the more they need. And this, we, we saw this especially like post or during COVID, during the pandemic. People have birds at home. They go to work, and then they come home at night. The bird's all excited. Now, during the pandemic, they're home with the bird all day long. The bird gets used to their owners being home. There's even a stronger bond because the bird is happy, you know. The owners are home all day long, and then they go back to work after the end of COVID. Now the birds are like, where are you going? You're ignoring me. And then they stress out, and they have psychological problems. And probably the most common one is self-mutilation they call feather picking. And that's a whole discussion for some other day. But, um, yeah, it, it can be real challenging. Yeah, feather picking is definitely something I think we've all somehow seen photos of it where they pull the feathers. They couldn't pull them off their own neck, but I have a, a mental image of them missing the feathers of their chest or or shoulders or something, and it's a sign of stress. Now, when when they have parrots in zoos, which they, of course, have many parrots in most zoos, how do they keep them happy? Does the, does the handler... Or the zookeeper, are they, do they have a schedule where they're supposed to go in and talk to them and put them on their arm and play with them? Or um, do they minimize that? Again, it's, that's a complicated question because there's so many different species and they all have different requirements. General rule of thumb, I mean, the zoos nowadays, they're so sophisticated and they have such great protocols. And, you know, the zoos talk to each other and they share information and, and they have individual species experts that study just one species and then they share that information with the other zoos and um you know with a lot of these big birds they're better off being left with their cohorts in other words if yes. you've got a flock of birds don't intervene as a human um let them do their bird thing and let them be birds and so intervening as a human may not necessarily be the best thing for that particular species it's it's one thing having an animal on display it's another thing having a bird in your house as a pet um so Environmental enrichment and and that kind of a thing is extremely important with any animal in the captivity, whether it's a pet or in a zoo. And the zookeepers do phenomenal jobs. And again, um, they provide enrichment for these animals, but that enrichment doesn't necessarily mean going out there and picking the bird up every day and petting it and talking to yes. it. Yes. The answer is probably no, they're not going to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, with some of these birds, especially the home birds, you know, you need to spend a lot of time with them. The birds that are out on display, it's best just to let them be birds. That's really, that was why I asked that question, because 
I get this sneaking suspicion that the emotional needs of these birds are much greater than people might anticipate. And then once you feed that emotional need, you kind of, if you will, from what you've just explained, create a monster where they need more of it because they don't have the natural environment of other birds to talk to, play with, run around with, or whatever it is that birds would do in nature, you know, look for food, fight for food. So I wonder whether we need to have a cautionary tale generally, although, as you say, the different species have differing needs. I'm going to call it emotionally rather than physically. And is it something that people should really do a lot more homework than maybe they were thinking of doing about the idea of having a very beautiful bird in their home and understand that they're asking something of the bird that's pretty unnatural and they as a human are going to have to extend themselves a lot forever. Oh, I definitely think so. And and anytime we buy any pet, I don't care if it's a dog, cat, bird, fish, frog, hermit crab, um, I think it's really, it's imperative that whoever decides they want to be a steward for a particular animal species, they do their homework before they do it. The sad thing is that most people get pets on impulse buys. Yes. Um, but especially if you're looking at birds, for instance, I have a macaw. Okay. Do I you? Inher- I inherited the macaw from, it's a long story, but I've had it for 30 years. I want to hear the story. Now, the story is really interesting. Not today. Not today. <laughs> Not another today. day, you guys. You're going to have to come back story. another day. I so really anyway, want to hear I've, that I've story. I've had her for 30 years, and she's totally bonded to me. Um, she, I won't say she hates my wife, but let's just say to her, my wife is competition. Right. So when I'm, when my wife is around and I'm home, she bonds to me. She could care less about my wife. Fortunately, when I travel, which I do, then she warms up to my wife and they get along just fine. But, but if it's just, if it's the three of us, then she, the bird prefers me. Um, but again, my point I'm trying to make is Let's say you're a senior citizen, maybe you're even living in a uh, retirement community. You may not be allowed to have a, you know, two-pound macaw that screams and yells and acts like a two-year-old for 70 years, but you're allowed to have a canary in a cage that sings real pretty little songs and is is calming and relaxing. You can talk to them, they respond to you, but that bird's not going to probably not going to be hopping out of the cage, jumping on your shoulder, sitting on your finger, walking around. Whereas like my macaw will sit on my, I don't, I never let the bird sit on my shoulder, but she'll sit, you know, she'll perch on my hand and I'll carry her around. And if I'm working outside, she goes outside with me and she helps me in the yard and that kind of stuff. But you're not going to do that with your canary. So my point is, if you're thinking of buying a bird, because they are complicated animals and they're wonderful animals, um, you need to do your homework before you get it so you know what you're getting into. Okay, a couple of things you said that are really interesting. One is you don't let her ever go on your shoulder. So we all have the image of parrots on people's shoulders, either the pirate on the pirate ship or my brother with the African gray he inherited from my father sits on his shoulder and they kiss a great deal, beak to mouth, which I don't mm-hmm. probably think is great for the parrot's health, but that's a separate conversation. Why not the shoulder? Can they harm you accidentally or purposely? Well, I, I just, yeah, that's a two pound bird sitting on my shoulder. I don't want her to feel like that's where, that's her happy place, you know, I, so she doesn't do it. And I know a lot of people do let their birds sit on their shoulder, especially with the smaller birds. That's really common. You see that all the time. I'm just, I don't want a big bird sitting on my shoulder. 
<laughs> Do you not want poop down the back of your shirt? I don't want poop down the back of my shirt either, no. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, she would never bite me because we're buds, but that's not the issue. The issue is I just don't need to have a big bird sitting on my shoulder. You, so if I carry her anywhere, she sits, you know, she perches on the top of my hand and then we walk around and then I'll set her down and she spends her time with me. So I, you know, we spend a lot of time together, which is great. Wow. And what about when you go outside? Are her wings clipped? And what about that issue of can a parrot fly away? They certainly can, and it happens all the time. I don't clip my own bird's wings, but she's she's never, knock on wood, in 30 years flown away. She just hangs out with me all day long. But what about other people? Should the parrot's wings be clipped by a veterinarian <sighs> regularly for safety's sake? Um, you know, it's, it, there is pluses and minuses of both. I mean, I've heard people say that clipping their wings can stress them out. Um, I think if you condition them and make it a positive experience, it shouldn't be too stressful for them. I do have clients that clip their bird's wings and either they do it or they have me do it or they may have a pet store do it that's, that's skilled at you know, trimming the bird's wings. Um, in one particular case, I have a, a large tourist resort that I, they have a, a mascot that's a beautiful macaw. And they didn't want to trip the, clip the wings, and it got scared one day. I don't remember what scared it, and then it took off and flew through Key West, and they lost it for two weeks. Fortunately for that bird, it wasn't during hawk season, or it would have been killed. Oh. And they ended up getting the bird back, which is a whole other topic about you know identifying with photographs and microchips and stuff like that. But um, you know, you, you definitely there are cases where I think clipping them is a good idea, um, and there are other cases like you don't need to. And then I also know other people who have birds who think it's positive, really positive for their behavior to let the birds fly free. And oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, you know, that's very controversial because they fly free. The idea is you let them fly free, then they come home and they want to eat, and then they take off, they fly around again. But now you're letting a non-natural species loose in the environment for one thing. The other thing is the danger factor of it is, you know, down here where we live, we have hawks that migrate through. And if you let a canary or, I mean, an African gray, and you let it fly free, it's going to get killed. There's no question about it. They so, will take it, the, the hawk will snatch it right out of the air? Oh, absolutely. I, we, have, we have situations, I've had clients that had their parrots sitting on the front porch in a non-screened porch, and a hawk has flown onto the porch and taken a parrot, oh like an God. African gray, right off a perch in the front porch. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's a harsh world out there, folks. And uh, yeah, I, it seems something sort of counterintuitive. You buy a a captive parrot who's always come from a line of captive parrots, and then you say go out and be wild, like make pretend we're in the Amazon, but it's not the Amazon or wherever they naturally would live. Mm -hmm. You're kind of it, it seems like you're playing with fire. And coming up with a kind of false idea of, oh, but he really needs his freedom. But he doesn't have freedom because he's a captive animal. So give him the best life you can at home. Do you feel that not being able to fly or your girl, McCaw, not being able to fly, except for maybe inside the house, I don't know if she does that, is that taking away some part of their true nature? It is. You know, I mean, birds are meant to fly around. Right. So, I mean, you know, that's that's a whole nother discussion and another controversy. There are a lot of people who don't feel birds should be kept as pets at all. Correct. Yes. Because also many of them are kept in really small cages. Not yeah. not only can they not fly, it's not exactly, you know, an inside aviary, but they can barely 
turn around some of them. All right. Well, that yeah. we're obviously the the housing of of birds needs to be another show because there's so many different shapes and sizes of birds and also choices of housing and you really do need to make the right choice for the right bird for whatever your lifestyle is and whatever their needs are. Doug, this is a really good overview of parrots and I hope that people who have parrots will write to us with any specific questions they have for you because you have many specific answers at your fingertips. Just go to tracyhotchnerpets.com, go to the Exotic Pets page, and you'll find a contact place that you can ask Dr. Doug any questions that have really been bugging you or you don't have a exotic pet vet available. So you've got all kinds of questions that have gone unanswered and You've got another 50, 60 years to go, folks, so find out now before it's too late. Thank you, Doug. You bet. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Exotic Pets, brought to you by the fine family of animal lovers at ZooMed Laboratories, where they make everything you could need to give your exotic its best possible life. Are you an experienced reptile snake breeder or gecko breeder, or are you looking to pick up your first pet bearded dragon? ZooMed is sure to have what you need so you can confidently care for your exotics. If you have a question for Dr. Doug to answer on the show, feel free to reach out to me on our contact page at tracyhotchnerpets.com, spelled T-R-A-C-I-E-H-O-T-C-H-N-E-R-Pets.com. Thanks for listening.